G'day Sports by Fry fans, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Sports by Fry podcast coming at you on a Friday for yet another Fantasy Friday episode. This time I'm going to be talking, obviously, AFL Fantasy, covering all the relevant defenders. I tried to find a bit of a mix between the relevant blokes and the popular blokes and the ones that are really expensive and ones that really interest me. So I cover, once again, the big dogs, the value picks, and the rookie slash cash cows. Then, obviously, I do the standard lap around the NBA waiver wire with some ad drop and watch candidates before diving into some fantasy trade targets. Don't know about your fantasy league, but my trade deadline does come up around the All-Star break, so a couple of weeks still to go, but if you're interested in a couple of these dudes, it's probably time to act on a trade sooner rather than later. So without further ado, let's dive into today's episode. I'm going to start with the AFL Fantasy. Usually I do it the other way around, but I'm talking about all the defenders. I've done, obviously, the forwards, Ruckman, and midfielders the previous three weeks, so it's time for the defenders. And the defense is a pretty interesting situation for fantasy coaches, because unlike the forward line, there's a lot of value in some of the mid-prices, but there are some big dogs at the top of the order that I actually genuinely like investing in. I don't really advise picking Dangerfield, Dunkley, Sidebottom, all those guys. You can listen to the forwards episode for my two cents on them. But a couple of these big dogs in the back line, they could prove to be winning moves if you stick with them throughout the entire year. First cab off the rank that I'm going to talk about is Jake Lloyd. Obviously, his price is pretty, pretty massive now. A break-even of 115, 873k, he'll set you back. When I first picked my team, he was the first defender that I slotted in. Sorry, Zach Williams and Roy, but I think that Jake Lloyd is a bit overpriced. He's actually never averaged over 110 in a season before. 28% of coaches have plugged him in, and I can see why, given his track record in the past. He's a pretty proven fantasy production when it comes to backline kicks. Uh, At that price, though, I view him as more of an upgrade target. Like I said, the fact that he's never gone over this type of numbers that his break-even's sitting at. He probably won't be too much worse. He'll probably average something like 105, 107. So, I mean, there's not you're not going to lose a ton of value if you do pick him, but I think it's wise to probably spend your starting coin elsewhere unless you're really set in stone on picking Lloyd. It's justifiable. There's worse routes to go down, but not for me. Lockie Whitfield is next. He is 50k cheaper than Jakey Lloyd. His break-even is about bang on that 108, 107 that I think Lloyd can average. But Whitfield, I don't think, can be picked in your starting lineup now that he's got a liver injury. He's been shelved at the moment. He's probably not going to get any run in during the preseason before round one appears. He might. I could, could be wrong here, but I don't think it's wise to pick him for round one. I actually missed him at the start of last year, and obviously... He is an injury-prone cat, Lucky Whitfield, so it was a bit lucky that I didn't have him when he got hurt on, I think it was 10 or something like that in around 3 or 4. But Lucky Whitfield, don't get me wrong, is a fantasy star. I would prob- probably try and keep an eye on him and advise trading him in before Jackie Lloyd. I view him, again, as a massive upgrade target. If he does get named for round 1, they'll probably complicate thinking for coaches, but... I just want to see how Whitfield looks first. Rory Laird is next up. He is probably the most popular big dog outside of Jakey Lloyd in the back line for coaches. 763 grand. He'll set you back. A break-even smack-bang on 100. 
Here's a pretty interesting stat for you. During the last seven games, Rory Laird went to average 27 touches and five clearances, and he was playing a lot more midfield time around the ground for the Crows, and I think that will continue in 2021. During those last seven games, he went at a fantasy average of 94, which, obviously, when you adjust it to full quarters, reflects 117.5. I don't expect him to go at an average 117 throughout the year, but he could be someone that flirts with 110 average, or at worst case, becomes one of the top two or three defenders. So Rory Laird, he's sitting in my first defensive slot at the moment, and barring anything crazy, he won't move until the season starts. Bashahooli is the next cab off the rank. He is very similarly priced to Rory Laird. He actually costs $1,000 more, but that is too much for me to cough up for Basha. He had a pretty inconsistent 2020 season. He had five of his nine scores that were below 60, which translates to 72, but still, he's only produced an average over 95 once in his AFL fantasy career, and at the age of 32, I can't really see him getting any better. He will still have his big games, and he's a fine draft selection, and I personally love watching Bashahooli go about his business, but for fantasy classic coaches, I don't think we can trust Basha. Tommy Stewart, however, he is someone that I'm starting to grow interest in. His break-even of 97, priced at 736k, only in 8% of teams at the moment, which is somewhat interesting. I think of all the guys in the back line that I've mentioned already, probably outside of Jake Lloyd, I think Tommy Stewart is the second safest pick. If you're all in on him, given the concerns of the other blokes that I mentioned, it's probably not a terrible call. He'll probably finish amongst the top six defenders. He's been there for the last couple of seasons, got an All-Australian nod last year, and is starting to find some consistency with his fantasy game. Obviously, I think last year it was that he busted his shoulder and missed a couple of games, so I don't think you can worry too much about that in picking Stewart. For me, like I said, Lloydie, uh, Lady, sorry, is sitting in my first defensive slot, but I'm certainly contemplating a move for Tommy Stewart. Jack Crisp, another gun defender, Break-even at 95, he's a little bit cheaper than Stewart, about 10 grand cheaper, but he falls in a very similar boat. He's only in 4% of teams, and he ended the year with four pretty impressive scores. He went at 116, 121, 88, and then 87. So if Jeremy Howe is still going to be injured, and Jack Crisp tries to channel that rich vein of form over into the next season, he could be a masterstroke for coaches that pick him. I personally can't find a way to shuffle him into my lineup, but... Much like I said with the Stewart pick, if you're all in on picking Jack Crisp, I can certainly see why it's justified. Focusing on some value picks now, Zach Williams is the first one that I recommend. Break even of 82, 626 grand, he'll set you back. I don't really need to go on on this one. I don't think he'll go worse than that 82, worst case scenario. I think his average will be closer to triple figures. The Blues want to play him in the midfield, so happily pick Williams and don't even think twice about it. His Carlton teammate Sam Doherty though, I am a little bit concerned about. He's technically 50k more than Williams at 676, break even of 89, and I do wonder, have we seen the best of Sam Doherty? Back in 2017, he went at a fantasy average of 116, and since then, he's undergone plenty of knee surgeries and had plenty of injury issues, so he was in my team originally, but I'm starting to wave a flag and have some concerns, to be honest. Adam Saad slotting into that Carlton backline means he'll take some of the kicks and the plus sixes on offer, so Doherty probably will score around his average. I expect him to be in the high 80s to 90s, but I don't know if that justifies picking with him to start. If you had a little bit of extra coin and you were considering someone like Tommy Stewart or Jack Crisp, 
I think that's the route I'd rather go down. At much, much cheaper, you can find yourselves a Wayne Miller owner. He's 446k at the moment, and I'm really big on picking Miller to start this season. There are some other dudes that I prefer over him, but I can see the appeal in picking the Crow. He's break-even of 59, and he's been flirted with more midfield time, been training with the mids during Adelaide's pre-season, so he's certainly underpriced. Had a foot issue that really hampered his season last year, so Miller is one of those value picks that I could definitely recommend starting with. For about 30k more, James Harms is also in the mix. At the moment, I probably prefer Harms slightly ahead of Miller, but I got both in my team, and I think that the way James Harms has been used in the past, playing a lot of midfield before, indicates that that's what we can expect again in 2021. The D's tried to use him a bit as a halfback flanker last year. It didn't really work. So now he's break-even sitting in the 62 mark. I think he's going to be 10 points better than that at worst. Previously, he's averaged 83 and 94 back in 2018 and 2019 respectively. So there's plenty of value in picking Miller and Harms. Like I said, I've got both, but I have Harms slightly ahead of Miller if you had to split between the two. Alex Willardin is another potential value pick. 654k, he'll set you back with a break-even of 86. And that adjusted average, having been pushed up a little bit, I think is a little too rich for me. I kind of want to see how he slots into this West Coast backline. Guys like Brad Shepard and Liam Duggan are going to chew up plenty of plus sixes as well. Duggan's been flirted with playing in a bit of the midfield, and he's someone who I didn't talk about, but I might if he uh, dominates during the Amy Community Series and during West Coast's preseason matches. But at the moment, I think Alex Witherden is the one that a lot of coaches will have their eyes on. Shannon Hearn religiously has taken the kick-ins for West Coast. Brad Shepard's taken a couple. Jeremy McGovern even. So I do wonder how many Alex Witherden will get. He loves to obviously to take a kick-in and play on out of the square. But I want to see what he's capable of first. Had a pretty crappy year last year for the Lions. So let's see what he's got over the preseason before we slot him into our starting outfits. Now some of the rookies and cash cows. First up is Will Gould. He's the safest pick in my opinion. I don't know if you can trust him on your field. He may not be named round one, but he is a great bench pick in my opinion. I'm slightly concerned that Horse Longmire will use him as a third tall defender, and that might hamper some of his fantasy scores, but at basement price, if he's playing, he's going to provide us plenty of value, so go ahead and slot him into your either D7 or D8. Little bit dearer, Lockie Young, obviously now at the North Melbourne Kangaroos, changed teams in the off-season. Haven't heard a lot of bars out of him in the preseason, and his inflated price tag at 276k means you probably don't want to put him on your bench. You would want to pick someone with that price tag who you're going to start on your field, and I don't know if I can really trust investing in him. There's a guy who I'm not going to waste any time on that I've talked about on A, Wednesday's pod, and B, probably six other pods before this, in Hayden Young. He's only about 60k more than Lockie Young, and I definitely trust him a bit more, the gun docker. Even Isaac Cumming, who's nearly 100 grand cheaper, uh, richer than Lockie Young, I still trust him a little bit more than the new Rue. So Lockie Young at the moment, I'm drawing a line through, but harping back onto Isaac Cumming, he's got a break even of 47. Played just three games last year, but with the exit of Heath Shaw, Aidan Core, and Zach Williams from that GWS backline, maybe now he can lock down a semi-permanent role. There is a little bit of fluctuation happening at GWS where people are playing, who's filling in certain roles, etc. But given those exits that I just talked about, I think Cumming will have much more opportunity 
and if that's the case, should be good for at least some 60s, maybe push something closer to 70. He's the bloke that I have the least faith in as a backline bloke that you have to pay up for a little bit. Some of those value picks offer plenty of value, no pun intended, but Isaac Cumming I'm a little bit concerned about, but he's in my D6 slot at the moment and will probably stay there to start the season. Hawks draftee Denver Granger Barras is another bloke I want to discuss. Will he be in their best 22? That's an interesting question. Didn't do his chances any harm in the Hawks intra-club. Apparently had a very good showing in that, playing in the probables versus the possibles. So DGB might get a gig round one and might stay in Hawthorne's side for quite a while, but he doesn't have a great scoring pedigree. He played in the waffle a little bit last year, averaged about 40 or high 30s when it came to scoring, so... He is a key backman. Don't go picking him and expecting some huge scores. There are backmen that thrive as intercept markers, etc. But Granger Barras is not one of them. Last up is Trent Bianco. 170k he'll cost you this year. And he was a gun at junior level. So I can see why he's one of the most popularly picked defenders at the moment. Hopefully Collingwood hand him a debut early. Also does have very flexible mid-defender status, which is another string in his bow. He was in an Oakley Chargers team that boasted guys like Matty Rao, uh, North Drafty, Will Phillips, Jamari Hagen, Noah Anderson, and he didn't look out of place. So hopefully Collingwood gives him that opportunity because if they do, I wouldn't be surprised if he put up some impressive numbers. That's the footy talk. Time for some NBA action. This week's hot ad is none other than Sadiq Bay. If you're an NBA fantasy coach and you're looking at making a tweak to your lineup, go ahead and add the Detroit Pistons rookie. With the news coming out that Blake Griffin's going to be sat, Bay will get a ton more opportunity in the small forward position. I know that Blake technically isn't a small forward, but Bay has played 32 plus minutes in his last three games. He's starting the last couple, and obviously being a rookie, you can expect a bit of fluctuation in his scores, but he showcased what he's capable of this week by dropping 30 on the Celtics. The Pistons have nothing to really lose from playing him a lot, especially given their position in the ladder, so or the standings. Rather, sorry NBA fans, but I think you can keep playing Bay safely. Obviously, expect a little bit of roller coaster, but he'll get tons of minutes for the Pistons, and for that reason, I have him as the hot waiver wire ad at the moment. He's in 25% of teams, so still out there in plenty of leagues, so go ahead and snack up Sadiq Bay. Gary Trent Jr. is another bloke that you should definitely consider adding into your team. He's actually in less than 50% of squads, which kind of surprised me. Over the last nine contests, he's gone on to average 20-plus and been pretty consistent when he's done it. Hasn't had too many games above the 20-25 mark, but hasn't dipped below the high teens either. And he's hit three three-pointers in each of those contests. So I was quick to bag him out earlier. I had him in my team originally, and he scored pretty poorly for two straight games, so I dumped him. In hindsight, that was the wrong decision. Even when CJ McCollum does come back, who I think is out for at least another two weeks, I can see Trent Jr. slotting in to be the Blazers' sixth man of the year and playing a pretty important role for Portland. So I would go ahead and add him, especially if you need help in the scoring and three-point categories. Nerlens Noel is another bloke with my eyes on. 22% of teams have him currently. And now that Mitch Robinson has a fractured hand, Noel is going to be the man in the middle for the Knicks. Hasn't had the greatest fantasy showing since then. Obviously, in his three starts since Robinson went down, he's only got averages of seven points and six rebounds, but I expect him to push that closer to a double-double, and he'll definitely be someone that can provide a lot of blocks and steals for fantasy coaches. 
It's worth flagging that fouls are an issue for Noel. He had four, five, and four fouls in those last three starts. But if you can get past that, there's plenty of value in the Knicks big man. If you need to add one of those guys, you can look at go ahead and dropping Brooke Lopez. Still in nearly 57% of teams. He had a 23-point performance only a few contests ago, but Lopez isn't the same fantasy asset that we thought he was going to be. Bobby Portis on the Knicks, uh, the Knicks, on the Bucks roster rather, has been eating into his minutes and his production. So Lopez is only averaging 1.3 blocks on the year, and he hasn't had a double-digit rebound outing in over a month. He's averaging 10 points and 5 boards on the season, which are pretty sucky averages if you ask me. It's nice to have a center that's capable of knocking down some threes, but I think you can find better replacements for him. It wouldn't be a waiver wire drop list without someone in the shooting guard realm who's providing pretty empty stat lines. This week's subject is Tim Hardaway Jr. Once again, he is providing plenty of points, 16 points per game at the moment, and threes go along hand in hand with that, but I would have flagged my concerns about Dallas's supporting cast previously, and Hardaway isn't really getting it done across the board. He's only adding 3.2 rebounds, 1.5 assists, and less than a steal a game. So if you're someone that needs him and needs the threes and the scoring, I can see why you'd want to hold him. If, however, you're playing in a much shallower league, maybe a 10-team league or even an 11-12 to 12 team league, you can probably consider getting rid of Hardaway because outside of those 16 points with a couple of threes thrown in, he's not giving you much else. Before I dive into the fantasy trade targets, this watch list is a little bit interesting because I'm watching the Grizzlies injury report. Justice Winslow at the start of the month, who hasn't played since January 2020, by the way, back when he was a Miami Heat member, has said that he was aiming to return to the court in February. Clock's ticking, bro. He's obviously been out for an extended period of time. We've been getting mixed reports over when he is coming back. And those mixed reports have continued into the Jaron Jackson Jr. situation. Surprised me to see that JJJ is now in less than 60% of teams, and people are running out of patience with him. And I can see why. There was plenty of news that's been glued to Jaron Jackson Jr.'s status. About a month ago, it seemed like he was going to return within the week, and they said he was working towards a return, but then it was radio silence, and he's missed another month since then. Now the Grizzlies are saying that they're optimistic he'll play after the All-Star break, so there's no guarantees in all that jargon that he is going to play after the All-Star break. If you are a Jaron Jackson Jr. owner, does depend a little bit on what your situation is with your league. If you have an IR spot and you can safely plug him in there and you don't have too many other injury issues, it's probably wise to hold on to him, especially if you've held on to him for this portion of the season. It doesn't make a lot of sense to get rid of him now. With that said, though, that is still probably another month before we see Jaron Jackson Jr. on the court, so I don't blame you for wanting to cut ties with him. Like I said, a lot of coaches are starting to dump him, Justice Winslow as well, he's only in 1% of teams at the moment, but if he does make an eventual return, he's someone that I'd want to add, but I can see the frustration with these two injury-prone Grizzlies. Well, actually, it might be unfair to call Jaron Jackson injury-prone, but I don't really trust either of them at the moment as a fantasy asset. The way that Jaron Jackson Jr. is trending as well, I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't play at all this year. So if there's a viable option to pick up on your waiver wires that's a good replacement, don't blame me for going ahead and axing JJJ. Here we go, some blokes that you can target in the fantasy trade market. First one that I want to discuss is Michael Porter Jr. Hasn't had the greatest return to the court 
in his, well, what's it now, third season. But we have to remember, this dude's played less than 75 career games. Denver's performances recently have been pretty up and down as well. And since Michael Porter Jr. had that 30-point outing against Dallas a couple of weeks ago, he's played pretty shit house to be honest. He's shooting under 30% from three, averaging just 10 points per game, and his minutes have kind of fluctuated as well. I think part of that is due to Paul Millsap's performance. He's been playing out of his skin lately. He has, I think, just recently injured his knee or he's banged up a bit, so his status is day-to-day, which may create a bit more opportunity for MPJ. I think that Denver as a team will right the ship and they'll start to perform. And if that's the case, Porter Jr. will have a bit more opportunity and will probably boost that scoring number back up into the teens. Around the 15-point, 6-7 rebound mark is what I can see him averaging. Won't be doing that right now, but if you trade for him, he could be doing that for you in the playoffs when it matters most. He's a super athlete. He is a pure scorer. Obviously, hasn't been able to piece it all together and thrive as a star in the league thus far, but he has that potential. So if there's an owner in your league that potentially is dangling him in trade offers, you can go ahead and probably prime away relatively cheaply. Another bloke who maybe you can pounce on pretty cheaply is Rashawn Holmes. Knee soreness has him out at the moment, but I don't think it's a huge concern. I'm not a doctor, but he has been performing pretty well in the season thus far. A lot of people will flag that Hassan Whiteside had a dominant performance last time out. If you don't know, he put up a pretty stupid stat line with 26 points, 16 rebounds, and 5 blocks in just 24 minutes. But half his scoring came in garbage time in the fourth quarter. And let's pump the brakes a little bit on the Hassan Whiteside train, because this isn't going to happen consistently. I feel safe putting my reputation on the line saying that. It could pounce while... Uh, obviously, Rashawn Holmes is out, but Whiteside's numbers have not been great all year. He hasn't been getting a ton of opportunity. He's a pretty average defender when you watch him in real life. So if there are some owners who are asleep at the wheel and think that Whiteside or maybe even Marvin Bagley are better in those depth chart, I would go ahead and try and make a move for Rashawn Holmes. He hasn't put a foot wrong really all season. That little push shot that he's got... We'll get him 10 to 12 points a game. He'll give you a couple of boards and blocks. So you could probably pry him away really cheaply. So if you're looking for a big man in the trade market, Rashawn Holmes is someone that you can get relatively safely. Tyler Hero's up next. He's been plagued by inconsistencies this year. He has just kind of got it right. He had a 15 rebound double-double against Golden State and then had 27 points the previous game against the Clippers. So maybe you won't be able to get him as undervalued as before, but those inconsistencies that he's had have been somewhat tied to his neck injury, and then he was out for a chunk of time with COVID protocols as well. So Tyler Hero obviously is an elite three-point bucket. Does provide a lot of other stats outside of that though. For a guard, he's very good at rebounding. We'll get you a couple of assists here and there. Probably won't contribute too much on the defensive end, but that's a pretty good return from someone at the shooting guard position. Again, these last few performances have probably bumped his trade value up a little bit. If there's a coach in your league, though, that maybe you can prime away from, I can see the appeal in adding Tyler Hero. Last one up that I want to talk about. This bloke actually had a triple-double yesterday against OKC, so that doesn't help my case. These guys aren't really buy low, but given their performances, you can probably get them undervalued right now. I'm talking about Jar. Morant, another sophomore guard. He's a big name, so good luck trying to get him off another owner or another coach in your league. But he's only topped 20 in two separate games 
in 13 games back since his ankle injury. That was a bit of a mouthful there. But what I'm saying is he's not producing the same way as he was before he got hurt. Obviously, this triple-double against OKC has kind of bumped up his averages a little bit. I think now he's averaging around the eight assist mark, which is pretty good, but he's been shooting the three-pointer pretty woefully. That is a bit of a concern, honestly, outside of fantasy circles for Ja Morant, but there's plenty of value still for Morant, much like I was talking about with Michael Porter Jr. If you can try and manufacture a trade for Ja, he might not right the ship and start immediately scoring and starring for you, but he will be a bloke that writes it and gets his uh, points per game and his assists up and hopefully his shooting numbers and could be a super contributor for you during a playoff or championship run. So Ja Morant, obviously being such an inflated star, he's probably ruled himself out of all-star contention. But if your trade deadline is coming up and you're looking at potentially swapping him for someone else, you could maybe get some value from Pick and Jar. And that is another Fantasy Friday in the books. Once again, thanks for listening to this Sportsbee podcast. Obviously, next week, there's no other position to cover in the AFL fantasy realm. So I might run through a bit of my team. And again, I've gone through the most popular blokes in podcasts previously. Maybe I'll turn my attention to some of the lesser owned guys that I really trust as well. Fantasy production in basketball circles, obviously, is still very alive and well. So I'll be talking about the ads, drops, and watch lists next week. But thanks for listening to this podcast. Till next time, 